Thanks for listening to our Church in the City podcast. In our series, Unto All, The Sending and Saving Heart of God in Jonah, we're unpacking God's intentional partnership with His people to outwork His desire for everyone to come to know Him and discovering that no one is left unimpacted. Good morning. It's, uh, it's amazing to be loved. We have, we have some hard work to do this morning. Um, and the reason is because Jonah, if you were here for the last couple of weeks, he's, he's quite the failure at being what he is supposed to be. Uh, and that is a light unto the world and um, a blessing to the nations. That's what God bestowed on the Israelites. That was their burden. That was their, their purpose in the world. And ultimately, that culminated in Jesus. Um, but Jonah is a miserable failure, which means that the first part of what we have to do in, in drawing contrast, it's compare and contrast day at CITC, by the way. The first thing that we have to do in drawing contrast between the way Jonah is and the way that he should be, which is in line with the heart of God, the sending and saving heart of God, um, it's just not going to be comfortable. But I want to say that at the beginning because I don't want you to get lost in that because there is hope at the end. There is, there is abundant, overwhelming hope at the end. All right. I don't know if I'm going to make it through. So we're in this series, Unto All, the Sending and Saving Heart of God and Jonah. So if you weren't here for the last couple of weeks, we'll do a little bit of a recap and catch up, um, as is the tradition in our TV-watching society. Two weeks ago, on Jonah, the worst-behaved prophet in the history of the world, James set up some nice context for us. So you don't have to turn there right now. Um, We'll put chapter 2 up on the screen. But right now, just relax and enjoy the show. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. This is a problem for Jonah, as James explained, because Assyria was the country of which Nineveh was the capital. And Assyria was a terrorist nation. They did unspeakable, horrible things to people who were their enemies. And at this time in Israel's history, they are at odds with Syria. And Syria is on their doorstep, as James said a couple of weeks ago. So this is a problem. God comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh's like, Jonah's like, Nineveh, Syria? Mm, no, I don't think so. I'm not, I'm not going there. I mean, that would be like God commissioning one of us to go to ISIS. It's about the best modern-day parallel. So Jonah, probably not so surprisingly, decides that you know, he's, he's not going to do this. So um, we're in Jonah, uh, which is a prophetic book. And then inside this prophetic book, we're doing narrative, right? So you're going to be using your story muscle. And um, <clears throat> so Jonah decides that he doesn't, he doesn't want to follow the commission of God. And he arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, so this is how Tarshish and Nineveh and um, Jonah's home work out. If, if my forehead is where Jonah lives and my left shoulder is uh, Nineveh and my chin is um, Joppa, where, no, where um, Jonah sails from, then the very tip of my finger on my right hand 
is where Tarshish is. And this is literally the edge of the known world. Beyond that point, west of there, nobody knows if there is anything at all. So Jonah goes down to Joppa from his home, and then he goes onto a ship, and he pays the fare for the ship, and he descends into the hole of the ship, all of these things leading him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord and away from his calling. So, you know, rightly, God is not entirely happy with the way this is going. So Jonah's on this boat, he's going the wrong way, and God's like, well, this isn't working out for me. I've commissioned this guy to do this other thing, to go to these people that he doesn't want to go to. Um, but it's, it's, it's my world. This is my sending and saving heart. There's nobody excluded from my sending and saving heart. There's nobody excluded from salvation, not a single person in the entire world, even Jonah's worst enemies. So I'm going to figure out a way to turn this around. So God sends a storm while the ship is at sea. And the storm is racking the boat so badly that it's bending and it's threatening to break into little pieces. And a boat in pieces doesn't function like it's supposed to. So this is dire circumstances for everybody there. So the sailors are doing everything that they know how to do to try to keep this boat afloat. They're throwing cargo overboard. They're doing everything else. Meanwhile, all of, meanwhile while, all of this, while all of this is happening, Jonah, Jonah's asleep. Jonah is, Jonah's asleep in the midst of all of this turmoil. He, he is an appalling prophet of God. He is supposed to be the one who, when he gets the commission, goes because he has faith in God. But he goes the other way in self-preservation, and then while these people are perishing, he's sleeping through the whole thing. So the captain of the ship goes down and smacks him, says, what are you doing? How can you be sleeping right now? Why don't you pray to your God? We've already been praying to ours and nothing's happening. Maybe your God will be merciful, which is kind of a slap in the face for Jonah because he knows that God is merciful. But he's still not doing anything. He's still acting exactly opposite of the way that he's supposed to. He's the light to the world. That's who he's from. That's who he is. He's a light to the world. He's supposed to bring hope to all the nations. And instead, he's just sleeping while all these people are dying. So the sailors are struggling with this storm, and they're all crying out to their gods, and eventually they're like, nothing is working. We need to cast lots to figure out who's responsible for this evil. And they say, they say evil in the text. They said to one another, come let us cast lots that we know on whose account this evil has come, up, come upon us. And they cast lots. And guess who the lot falls on? Jonah. Light unto the world. Hope of nations. Brought evil and calamity instead of light and hope. Jonah is an appalling prophet of God. He is perfectly contradictory to the way that he is supposed to be. And, I mean, it, it gets worse. It gets worse. 
So finally, when they discern this, they're like, what do we have to do to make this stop? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. Like, you know what? I've had enough of all of this. If I can't go to Tarshish in the south of Spain, which is about as close to heaven as you can get, I'm not going anywhere. Throw me overboard. This is like, this is like flipping the bird at God. I'm not going. I'm not going. Throw me overboard. And the sailors, these are, these are pagan people. They don't know God. We don't know what kind of moral bearings they have, if any. These sailors don't do it. They try the very last thing they know might give them a chance at being saved and avoiding killing this guy. They try rowing to the shore, but that doesn't work either. So finally, they give in and they pitch Jonah over the side of the boat. Now, it's worth noting that before they do that. They prayed to God and they said, Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. The sailors are using the name Yahweh, which is the name of Israel's God of Israel's covenant God, not generic term for God, Israel's God. They got that name because Jonah identified himself as a prophet of Yahweh. This is what Jonah was supposed to do when he got on the boat and the storm commenced. This is what he was supposed to, this is, this is his act. These are his words being stolen out of his mouth by these people who just 10 minutes ago met God and are outdoing him in his prophetic work. I mean, Jonah even identifies himself as a pious person. He says, I am, you know, uh, let's see, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. I beg to differ. I think he fears the Ninevites and not the God of heaven. So, rightly, the sailors are terrified. They don't want to throw this dude over the side of the ship unless they've tried everything, because if his God is Yahweh, the one who made the land and the sea that's trying to kill them, they don't want to make Yahweh angry by killing his servant. There's no like, there's no, oh, we hope another boat's going to come along and pick this guy up. This is, this is the end. They are going to kill Jonah if they throw him over the side of this boat. So they say this prayer, and they beg for mercy from God, which is a great irony of the universe that they are doing this, and Jonah, the prophet of God, is not, who God was sending to Nineveh because of his great sending and saving heart, which excludes nobody under the sun ever, they say this prayer and sort of cross their fingers and they pitch Jonah over the side of the boat. And then everything 
becomes calm. And once again, they outdo Jonah. The men feared the Lord exceedingly. Jonah claimed that and didn't do it. These men did it and then claimed it. And they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They worshipped him and they obeyed. So, Nate made a really astute observation last week if you're with us. He said, um, the Great Commission continues with and despite the messenger. Jonah, Jonah acted in full, perfect disobedience to God. And God still saved people along the way. God saved the people on the ship. They became worshipers of God, even though Jonah was acting in disobedience. I have to tell you right now, that, that is all the hope I have in the world for doing anything I do in the name of Jesus, including this morning. I was going to save this for later, but I'll tell you now. I, I am no different from Jonah. I am not, not in the least bit different from him. I do all of these things. So that God acts despite the disobedience of his servant is, is a fountain of hope for me. And that's not even the best part. We'll get there later. <clears throat> so here we are. Now we are at our text. If you could go to the next slide for me. Nowhere to run. We're talking about obedience and the presence of God. So Jonah is overboard. The sailors are safe. But Jonah is overboard. And this, this is it for him. This is the end. This is what, you know, this is where he thought that he was going to die. He was like, throw me overboard. I'm done with this. I'm not going to Nineveh. You can't make me do that. I will die before I go there. And so he's in the middle of doing that, he thinks anyway. But we read in verse 17 of chapter 1, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. <laughs> that's, not, that's, not very, that's not very linear, you know? Like, if... <laughs> If God was going to save someone from this caliber of peril, he has, he has everything in the universe at his disposal. Every atom, and even the ones that don't exist, because he can make them at his disposal. But this is how, this is how Jonah is rescued. It couldn't have been another boat, miraculously, like some other sailors who happened to be going the other way towards Nineveh. You know, It couldn't have been like a herd of dolphins, and he rides on the back and shows up with... <laughs> Seashell armor and a trident. And Nineveh repent. Of all the things, God has him swallowed by a big fish. By the way, let's take in the side right here. Imagine you're drowning, and you know that you're drowning, and then you get swallowed by a fish. As if, as if the trauma of drowning itself isn't enough, which is a horrible, horrifying reality to live, he also has to somehow absorb the trauma of being swallowed by an enormous fish. 
But this is so intentional because that word, swallow up, is the same word used elsewhere in Scripture for destroy. This is biblical spanking. God is putting Jonah in time out. He's like, you're not going anywhere until we have a face-to-face. Until we come to an understanding. Until we are reconciled. Jonah is sequestered. And all that frantic action from the first chapter, all the running around, the leaving, the escaping, all of that stuff slows down to a dead halt and Jonah is stuck in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. It's just, it's serenity. This is prison. And the only people in this scene are God, Jonah, and the fish. It's one-on-one time for Jonah. So let's take a look. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I'm going to read that again. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. You smelling what I'm stepping in? (laughs) Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. What, pray tell, was Jonah doing for three days and three nights before he started praying? (laughs) Jonah has refused to obey God. He is doing his utmost to get away from God and to escape the responsibility God is placing on him. I find that completely staggering. If he wasn't unconscious, this is unconscionable. This is literally the longest, most spitefully sustained pout ever. And... Let's take a step back. This man, this man is from the people who are supposed to be a light to the world, who are supposed to be a hope to the nations. That's who this is, and this is his behavior. I don't know about you, but I'm curious to see what he has to say. Because after that, I mean, this had better be good. So Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Sheol is right. God let him God let him go there. God let him go as close to getting away from God's presence as he dared. Right to the edge. Sheol is the Hebrew term for where people go when they die. Out of the belly of hell I cried. That's a reckoning with reality. 
And you want another glimpse of hope? And you heard my voice. You cannot go so low that your prayer for help will not reach God. It gets even better than that, too. And worse for Jonah. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. This is drowning. That's what drowning is like. The reason Jonah prayed, by the way, you see the four? The four indicates cause. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, for you cast me into the deep. This is why Jonah prayed. This is the reason Jonah prayed, is because he was drowning. Not a bad reason to pray. I'll give you that. But this next verse, this next verse turns it. And again, even though Jonah seems to be pulling out a sincere prayer, this next verse turns it. It says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. And read what's underneath. Jonah rose to flee, from, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In chapter 2, someone is driving Jonah away from the presence of God, from God's sight. In chapter 1, Jonah is quite actively working to get himself out of the presence of God. I think Jonah is either suffering from a heavy dose of forgetfulness or heavy onset cognitive dissonance because as far as I can tell, he's the one who was trying to get away from the presence of the Lord and now he turns it around and tries to pin that on someone other than himself as if he didn't look for this in the first place. You know what I think? I think being away from the presence of the Lord wasn't what Jonah thought it would be. I think he was imagining the south of Spain. But boy, was it ever not that. Let me tell you something about this little section that we just went through. God, in this first little period, has created the circumstances that were required to get Jonah to stop running from his presence and Turn back to him. This is what it took for Jonah. God set up exactly the circumstances that he needed to get Jonah to stop, to get Jonah to reckon with God, and to bring Jonah back into his presence. Now, God is omnipresent. So, in truth, Jonah never actually escaped, and escaping was a fool's errand in the first place. But you know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get out from under the rule of God. Because the second half of verse 4 says, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. God's holy temple is the seat of his authority. That's That's what Jonah wanted to get away from. What he really wanted to escape was obeying God.
So then the second half of Jonah's prayer is kind of a recap of things that we've already seen. But verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. It's true. It's true. Jonah Jonah says, I have been cast from the presence of God. But, But he's the one who ran away. And now when his situation is dire, now when he's the one that might actually have to pay, he prays. This is is an ATM attempt at God. You say that you're like this, so save me. This is is the, the man who's supposed to be the light to the world, who's supposed to be part of the people who are the hope of nations. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing is that God still delivers him. Despite his actions, despite him presenting himself as the antithesis of what he's supposed to be. When my life was fainting away, verse 7, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple because God was listening, because this is what God wanted. Because God sequestered him so that he could have a one-on-one so they could reckon and be reconciled so that the Great Commission could continue. And verse 8, this just kills me. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah has been paying regard to vain idols this entire time. He appeals to his pedigree as a person who is part of the people of God. He forsake his hope of steadfast love. The sailors didn't. The sailors appealed right to God. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. And salvation belongs to the Lord. The interesting thing about this is this is all true. These things are all true of God. But Jonah is just using God like an ATM. He's saying, you're like this. You say that you're like this. So be like this. And as it turns out, as it turns out, God doesn't need Jonah to behave well, to behave anything like he is supposed to, in order for him to still love Jonah, to still seek Jonah out, to still do whatever it takes to get Jonah to just sit and come back into his presence. He doesn't need any of those things to still love Jonah because his steadfast love has nothing to do with how Jonah acts. It has to do with who God is. No matter how hard Jonah tries, he cannot escape God. Because God has no desire for him to perish. And he has full desire 
for Jonah to come back into his presence. The sending and saving heart of God isn't just for the people that I think or that you think are the least likely to be saved. It includes us because we are the least likely to be saved. I am. And God will do anything. He will do anything to bring you there. He'll do whatever it takes. He will embarrass you. He will let you experience hardship. He will sequester you. He will corral you. He will come after you. He will invade your dreams. He will send his servants. You might not want that one. (laughs) He will come himself. He will do, he will do anything. He will do anything to bring you back into his presence. He will even sacrifice himself. Just like he did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil to the temple that separated people from God was torn. Because that's why he came He came and did everything he could to bring us back to him, to bring us back into his presence. He will do anything to bring you back into his presence. And you don't have to be any particular way. Jonah had a 100% failure rate. A hundred percent. And God still comes after him because of his steadfast love. Jonah behaved appallingly and was still saved. And I am so glad. I am so glad. Because if that were not true of God, I would not stand a chance. If you have never lived in his presence, this is the moment. You don't want that. But this is the moment. Today is the day. Because salvation is from the Lord. If you know him, but you've been running, this is still the moment. I mean, you can take heart that he'll do whatever it takes, but you've got to ask yourself what you want to live through. Isn't it better to run to him? To know his mercy? To know his steadfast love that has nothing to do with your performance? That can reach as far down as you could ever hope to go? If you know him and you're running, Stop. Come back. And if you fit neither of those categories, 
than with a voice of thanksgiving sacrifice to the Lord. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you if you've never if you've never known the Lord, if you've never been in his presence. And part of me hesitates to ask you to bow your heads because if you never have, but you want to, if today really is the day, then we should rejoice and we should celebrate because salvation is from the Lord and he offers life. If that's you, would you let us know? Would you raise your hand? Or come down. We want to rejoice with you. Well then, saints, beloved of God, if you are running, stop. I mean, take comfort in the fact that God will do whatever he takes, but he has done what it takes and he has made a way. And now that you're his, don't run from him, but run back to him, back to his presence. I want to pray for us. God of dry land and sea, your loving kindness is everlasting. And you are the real hope of nations. And you are the real light of the world. And we love you. We want to draw near to you. Send your presence, God. Shatter our idols into dust. Don't let us pursue vain idols, but let us only pursue you, Lord God. Just as you have pursued us and gave yourself up for us. Lord God, this morning we surrender. We surrender to your will. And more so, we surrender to your love. To your steadfast love. In closing, I just want to mention that the story continues. There are still two more chapters to go in the series, which is important because... Despite Jonah's 100% Jonah's failure rate, God has no plans whatsoever to stop using him. Hope in this too, that you don't have to be perfect, you don't have to be anywhere near it for the Lord to still use you. Hey, thanks, Mark. That was great. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.